The Australia Together podcast is brought to you by Australian Community Futures Planning. We're helping Australians work together to plan a better future for their nation. Visit us at www.austcfp.com.au. Hi, my name's Bronwyn Kelly. I'm the founder of Australian Community Futures Planning, or ACFP, and this is the Australia Together podcast. Today, we're providing the first of three podcast episodes in our series on insights into human rights and democracy in Australia. In this series, I'll be providing my answers to some questions I received from the Indigenous Independent Senator, Lydia Thorpe, in association with my appearance as a witness on 28 September 2023, in the Federal Parliament's current inquiry into Australia's human rights framework. In my witness statement, I made a case in support of a Federal Human Rights Act, as had been recommended by the Australian Human Rights Commission. But I stated that even if the Parliament enacts human rights legislation, the Constitution will still be a barrier to the security of human rights for Australians. I advocated for the need to ensure human rights are enshrined for all in the Constitution, not just in legislation. In noting that testimony, Senator Thorpe later asked me two important questions. In the first, she suggested that the Australian Human Rights Commission's proposal for a Human Rights Act was weaker than constitutional enshrinement of human rights and asked me to confirm whether it is indeed correct that and this is her words, unless a bill or charter of rights is constitutionally enshrined, there is no domestic legal way to hold the executive government accountable for passing laws that abuse human rights beyond the government of the day choosing how they are to be held accountable for breaches. Unquote. In her second question, Senator Thorpe asked, quote, what is the biggest danger in pursuing the weaker Australian Human Rights Commission proposal as opposed to the constitutional model? Unquote. In my appearance at the hearing, I did indeed suggest that a Human Rights Act was a weaker proposal than constitutional enshrinement of rights, at least from the point of view that legislation can confer rights on Australians, but unfortunately it won't secure them. Without constitutional enshrinement of rights, Australians will still be vulnerable to abuse or loss of their rights by executive government decisions when it is neither necessary nor just. However, I did not suggest that the solution would be a bill or charter of rights in the Constitution. We need to do something new in the Constitution, but it isn't a bill or charter quite a different form of constitutional enshrinement of human rights is required if we are to build a human rights framework that safely and equitably secures rights for Australians in democracy. In my recent book, The People's Constitution, I have suggested that the necessary form of constitutional law on human rights is a national agreement between all enfranchised Australians on human rights and obligations. This is a different form of constitutional law to a charter or bill of rights. It is a form of lawmaking consistent with the sovereign will of a nation's people rather than the arbitrary will of a government or parliament or monarch. 
This is not something that was discussed in my appearance before the Parliamentary Committee. So I'm going to provide my answers to Senator Thorpe's questions in full in this and the next two episodes of the Australia Together podcast. They're really great questions, and the answers go to the heart of how we should understand the very limited form of democracy we have in Australia and how that is impacting our human rights and, most importantly, what we can do to make Australia's constitution fit for a 21st century democracy, one where everyone has political equality and is secure in all the human rights they need. These answers have been published and are available on the Federal Parliamentary website at www.aph.gov.au. In her first question, Senator Thorpe stated to me as follows... You say that the Australian Human Rights Commission's proposal does not go far enough and unless human rights are constitutionally enshrined, abuse of human rights will continue and we will see government-enabled climate change, new stolen generations, state-sanctioned violence, homelessness, poverty, health issues, pollution, corporate exploitation and war. We look around and see this all currently happening and worst of all, for First Peoples on our own land. Consequently, Senator Thorpe then asked me, Can you confirm your submission that unless a bill or charter of rights is constitutionally enshrined, there is no domestic legal way to hold the executive government accountable for passing laws that abuse human rights beyond the government of the day choosing how they are to be held accountable for breaches? My response to this question from Senator Thorpe was provided in two parts. Here's the first part. In relation to whether in the absence of constitutionally enshrined rights there is no domestic legal way to hold the executive government accountable for passing laws that abuse human rights, I responded as follows. I refer the Parliamentary Joint Committee on Human Rights to my previous evidence, namely that the High Court has in effect already confirmed that unless human rights are enshrined in the Constitution, it is not possible for the courts to hold executive governments or parliaments to account for passing laws that abuse or revoke human rights. The rights of humans in this country can be lawfully abused by Australian governments because there is nothing in the Constitution that says they can't be. It is almost entirely silent on human rights and fully silent on any attendant government obligations to uphold and protect those rights. As such, the Constitution gives the courts no basis to restrain abuses of human rights by executive governments or parliaments, either in lawmaking, policy development or administration. In the People's Constitution, I cite no fewer than five major High Court judgments upon which I base this view. They are Alcatab versus Godwin, 2004, Minister for Immigration and Ethnic Affairs v. Argentio, 1995, Cartinieri v. The Commonwealth, 1998, Comcare v. Banerjee, 2019, and Maloney v. The Queen, 2013. In relation to this question from Senator Thorpe, the judgment in Alcatel v. Godwin gives the clearest and most direct answer. In this judgment, the High Court was forced to determine that amendments to the Migration Act 
did lawfully allow indefinite detention of people who had not been charged with a crime, and that the Act was not unconstitutional. As John von Duser, former president of the Human Rights and Equal Opportunity Commission, observed, this ruling pertained, quote, even though the detention was recognised as arbitrary and contrary to Article 9 of the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights. The court held Parliament had sufficiently expressed its intention that children could be detained, notwithstanding that their detention ran foul of human rights principles, unquote. It is an indictment of Australia's constitution that such horrible laws can be made under it. But the Alcatel versus Godwin case is also a landmark result for another reason. It clarifies the significantly diminished status of the courts in their judicial power relative to the parliaments in their legislative power and, for that matter, relative to executive governments in their administrative power. Justice McHugh was forced to proclaim in Alcatel that when it comes to human rights, quote, the justice or wisdom of the course taken by Parliament is not examinable in this or any other domestic court. I'll repeat that. The justice or wisdom of the course taken by Parliament is not examinable in this or any other domestic court. The function of the courts in this human rights context is simply to determine whether the law of the Parliament is within the powers conferred on it by the Constitution, unquote. And so, in confirming that the contested amendments to the Migration Act were within the powers conferred on the Parliament by the Constitution, the High Court also confirmed that Australian courts have lost any power they might have had to determine the justice of any laws made about human rights in Australia and they have lost this power because of the Constitution's silence on rights. In further support of this, I must repeat here part of an extract from the People's Constitution that was supplied in ACFP's main submission to this inquiry into Australia's human rights framework. In that extract, I stated, Lawmakers and judges alike are well used to interpreting whether parliaments are behaving justly in relation to human rights treaties. And yet judges have felt the need for specific incorporation of treaties into domestic law, or rather, into the actual constitution, before they will exercise the full measure of their judicial power in relation to rights under these treaties. In the Al-Kateb case, Justice McHugh shed some light on why. He said, quote, Eminent lawyers who have studied the question firmly believe that the Australian Constitution should contain a Bill of Rights which substantially adopts the rules found in the most important of the international human rights instruments. It is an enduring, and many would say a just, criticism of Australia that it is now one of the few countries in the Western world that does not have a Bill of Rights. But desirable as a Bill of Rights may be, it is not to be inserted into our Constitution by judicial decisions, drawing on international instruments that are not even part of the law of this country. It would be absurd to suggest that the meaning of a grant of power in Section 51 of the Constitution can be elucidated by the enactments of the Parliament. 
Yet those who propose that the Constitution should be read so as to conform with the rules of international law are forced to argue that rules contained in treaties made by the executive government are relevant in interpreting the Constitution. It is hard to accept, for example, that the meaning of the trade and commerce power in the Constitution can be affected by the Australian government entering into multilateral trade agreements. It is even more difficult, then, to accept that the Constitution's meaning is affected by rules created by the agreements and practices of other countries. If that were the case, judges would have to have a loose-leaf copy of the Constitution. If Australia is to have a Bill of Rights, it must be done in the constitutional way, hard though its achievement may be, by persuading the people to amend the Constitution by inserting such a bill. Unquote. In the People's Constitution, I went on to say, This is a logical, or at least understandable, reason for the reluctance of judges to determine whether the course taken by a Parliament is unjust or contrary to basic human rights when there's no specific rendering of any human rights treaties in the Constitution itself. And it is a plea from the judiciary to the people to take the chains off the courts that prevent them from protecting people against abuses of power and rights by governments. It is also a clear statement to the effect that mere legislation is not sufficient to protect human rights. It must be done in the Constitution. Otherwise, there is no balance of power that can be achieved. No balance of power is possible if one of the powers, in this case the High Court, has no power at all under the only instrument that can give it power, the Constitution. The Court's lesson is that only the people can solve this problem via a long overdue referendum to insert human rights into the Constitution. In the next episode of this podcast, I will answer the second part of Senator Thorpe's question about whether a bill or charter of rights in the Constitution is the best way of holding governments accountable for breaches of human rights. As I've already stated, a bill or charter will help, but it is not the best way to go about validly, fairly and safely enshrining the rights of Australians in their democracy. My name's Bronwyn Kelly, and this has been the Australia Together podcast, brought to you by Australian Community Futures Planning. To become involved in planning and building a better future for Australia, subscribe to ACFP at www.austcfp.com.au. Everyone is welcome to become involved.